Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Russell Knight. So Russell has a very interesting quest, which he may have achieved, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but is to be the most visited family law practitioner in Chicago. Just based on our pre-call, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll get into that in a little bit. So thanks for coming on the show, Russell. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I'm really excited to jump into the meat and potatoes, but just as far as kind of a quick background of, of how you ended up getting here, what kind of led you to the, to the point where you're having such an interest in content marketing and what really kind of led you to become an attorney in the first place? I became an attorney because I always jump on the wrong bandwagon and I was a computer programmer in the 2001 crash. And then when that didn't work out for me, I went to law school and then promptly graduated in 2006 where there was no law jobs. Or I, I like to say that I was in the last, I got one law job. I was like to say I'm the last chopper out of Vietnam, sort of just <laughs> hanging on. At any rate, I worked for like a small firm in the west side of Chicago, not a super nice place. And I, my boss did all the criminal work and he wanted me to do everything else. So I learned how to do bankruptcies, divorces, all sorts of like crazy stuff. And I taught myself Spanish in the meantime, because I noticed that during the recession, those folks always still had cash on them. And I, it was a really fun project to do. And then I opened up my own firm in 2009. And I wish I had started with content marketing or content creation years and years ago. But I only really got into it as of maybe three years ago. And it will, it's an amazing thing because I'm a lawyer. I'm solving people's problems. Normally, I'm solving the problem by writing something out. After I write it out, what should I do with it? Can I just repurpose that, co- that memo, that motion, that email into a article? Yes, you always can. So that's what I do with almost anything that comes across my desk is sooner or later, I turn it into an article and it's become more and more fun and more and more challenging where now I was like everybody else where I did 600 word articles that barely touched the surface. And now I've got 3,000, 4,000 word articles about everything you'd want to know about what a summons is in an Illinois divorce or everything about how to deport your wife is one of my favorite ones that people love. <laughs> and so I'll just write down everything I know. And then people will, when before the crisis, people would come and see me with the article printed out. So I knew the articles were working. It already showed that I was an expert on that subject. And what my theory is, is that once you get beyond 100 articles, and I'm at like 130 for my Florida website, I also have two web law firms. I travel between Naples and Chicago. My Naples website has 130 articles. My Chicago website has 235 as of yesterday. And I'm convinced that people, if they read one article, they'll probably do another search for and find a second article. And then they'll realize it's the same guy writing everything that they read. Because family law is the most researched type of law, period. It's a lot of tire kickers. And so instead of having them come in and kick tires, I have them come in and read articles. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I was going to say, it's kind of cool to have this sort of Wizard of Oz effect, I guess. It's like if they end up seeing you in a couple of places, it's kind of like the equivalent of having the billboard on every direction and like the main drag in town. And I'll also say this, it's very impressive that you don't really consider, I know certainly Florida family law and Chicago family law are both extremely competitive places. But I think in the grand scheme of things, I know three years might not sound like a short time, but like to kind of have dominance over the search in that time period certainly is, is more than a lot of people with a lot really big budgets have been able to do with kind of like link building SEO and that kind of stuff. I'm a lunatic. So <laughs> I literally go home and then... I will wonder, like yesterday, I'm like, can you get sued for something that your wife did? And I'll look it up and be like, oh, you know, you kind of can. And then I'll just write it out while I'm watching TV or winding down for the day. And then in the morning, I flush it out and then I have something there. So yeah, it's a lot of work. And I'm just, trust me, there's nobody in my rear view mirror because you'd have to be, have some sort of combination of obsession and wordsmithery to do this. But I'm, it works. I mean, I hope it works. I wish it worked better. I get a lot of researchers. I get a lot of people who are curious. But I don't know. If it's helping people, then I'm happy. Yeah. And I'll also say this too. Like, have you ever experimented with other forms of marketing and like had something to compare it to in terms of what people look like when they come in? Like, or do you, yes, would you, indeed. Yeah. Because yeah. I would I hazard a guess. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question because I bought a massive Facebook package where an agency very nice guy. It does work. The idea is it's like a funny little cartoon or image, and then it keeps appearing on the people that watch the video, and then sooner or later they call you. This did bring in clientele. It brought in clientele that likes to watch videos, and the type of clientele <laughs> that likes to read long articles is completely 100% different. The article people are almost always educated always educated with enormous educations and they always have money and assets. The video people sometimes, but usually it was, to be honest, a lot of times it was more trouble than it's worth. So I, I think, I think I learned that social media is a wonderful complement to a really amazing website, but I don't think it's the meat and bones of what marketing is or should be for a professional services, like a divorce lawyer. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong now. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you, you sort of have this traffic mechanism by all the clicks that are coming in from people who are searching these different topics, but it's also kind of, um, it's a conversion mechanism as well, right? Because through the process of engaging with your content, they're getting demonstrated your expertise. If they have this, this situation where you have this, the old Wizard of Oz effect when they're seeing multiple ones, you know, you look extremely prolific. And then ultimately on some level, they're getting to see how you think, right? So it's like, they already kind of know exactly. what they're dealing with by the time they walk in your office. So I wanted to ask about your process too. So if I'm doing my math right. We got a hundred articles in the Naples office. We got 230 in the Chicago office. So that's about 330 articles over a three-year period. So yeah. we're talking about a hundred articles a week. That's or sorry, a hundred articles a year-ish and about, about two a week, right? So tell me about your process. So I know you kind of mentioned this is stuff that's kind of coming through your your you know your day-to-day musings and stuff mm-hmm. that's happening to you. Tell me a bit about what does that process look like? What kind of time are you putting into it? If you're doing something that is where it remotely involves research, like looking up a law, then you're answering a question. What is the question? That's just what you started with. What happens if you're renting and you're getting a divorce? It's that simple. So you looked it up there. You already know the answer. You describe the problem to the person 
who has the, the person's only reading it because they have that problem. They're only reading it because they want an answer to that problem. You describe what the answer is. You quote the statute. The article people are always smart enough to read quotes. I don't do citations because it's kind of like hiding the ball. Instead, I just do uh, raw quotes from case law and statutes and relevant rules, always quotes instead of just saying, just doing like Wizard of Oz and being like, don't worry about what's behind the curtain. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. Because I don't think that's fair to the reader or to yourself because I read these things too. Like years later, I'm like, oh man, what does happen if you have a gun and you're getting divorced? Like in your, <laughs> if your FOID, if your FOID, is your FOID card determined who the owner is? And then I'll like, oh yeah, I look it up. I'm like, oh yeah, I answered this to myself two years ago. So it's better to just do it. You should be your first audience because you're researching it. And then that's what I think. And for me, I don't know. It's just fun. It's like doing a Sudoku puzzle. That's yeah. the whole point. Lawyers like to have a little challenge. And answering a question is essentially a challenge. That's what we do. Yeah. And as far as kind of the time investment, we're talking about three or 4,000 word articles. Have you seen, I guess for the people who might be considering this, and I'm sure that was probably a little bit more daunting when you got started. Do you know, like, I don't know if if, if you have this on your memory, but how long did it take you to write one of these things when you're starting out? What does it take you these days? Oh, it probably took the same amount of time, but they're three to four times longer now. Right. And it generally takes, it takes an hour to write. I mean, it takes more than an hour to write 3000 words, but it takes for 1500 is probably the median and then that takes like an hour and then there's usually a half an hour of cleanup afterwards. So it's the same amount of time that you, I'm sure everyone spends to read the newspaper in the morning or to flip through their social media. It's uh, so if you're looking for something to distract you, write an article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just flip yourself over to the produ- the production side rather than the conception side. Yeah. I don't know if you're comfortable with sharing this, but as far as the, the, I mean, not like, not like a dollars and dollars and cents figure, but for the two hours of time you're now putting in per week to get these out, I mean, what kind of phone calls do you end up getting on an average week from, from the sum total of these efforts? It's tough to say because the crisis changed everything. Mm. I think it's made the researchers more hesitant. Mm. But prior to that, it's really tough because the two markets are very different. There's almost no competition in my part of Florida. I'm in Naples, Florida. I don't want to say no competition, but it's so extremely limited compared to Chicago. I'll get three or four contacts a day that end up turning into two to three paying clients in Florida. In Chicago, pre-crisis, it was always very consistent at almost like four contacts a week, good contacts, and then two hires a week. But the, the crisis has changed everything. I think massive people are just putting it off. I've already done the math in Chicago because we have significant numbers. Filings are down by 25%. Yeah. I think there's always kind of that hesitation where like, like people, even if they haven't looked it up or just like, well, are the courts even open right now? That's one of my articles. Oh, are the courts open? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. That's awesome. And then it's just to kind of uh, bring this full circle for anyone who hasn't paying attention. I mean, if you've got a couple hours to pick up a couple clients, then maybe this is something that might be worth looking into. I'm also in the, in kind of the grand scheme of things, it's sort of funny. It's like, I feel like on every day somebody's making the declaration of XYZ, you know, form of marketing is dead. And I bet in 2017, there are people saying, oh man, I wish I got into this in 2014. And then you know, all the yeah. way back down to like, like, I guess what the first blogs that were being done, probably Ernie Spenson actually back no. in 2005. But I, I remember I was reading that. <laughs> I wish, because I remember signing up for Help a Reporter Out in 2008. And I wish I had stuck with it because now I do it all the time. Yeah. And that's, so that's, you never know what's going to happen. 
But I see some people on TikTok and like, maybe that's going away. Maybe that's the future. I don't, you don't know until you know. So do something that you like, hope that it sticks. They always say, well, one guy for Lee Rosen says, whatever you do in marketing, if you just keep doing that one thing, you'll get results. And I found that to be very true. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit. So we've got kind of the content production stuff, which, uh, and, and honestly, thank you. These have been like super actionable tips that I hope people are t- taking to heart. And again, three years from now, this could be you. So <laughs> let's think about that. So we got a little bit of this. And so we've got the content, but we've also got the promotion angle of it. So let's, let's talk about SEO for a little bit. Have you been tailoring any of these, the titles and the things that you've been getting into? Is this inform any sort of like a keyword research or are you more kind of scratching your own itch for these? No, I do keyword research because I just use Google. When you type in something, there'll be the suggestions at the bottom people also searched for. So when I typed in Chicago divorce lawyer and there were six suggestions at the bottom people also searched for, I did articles with those exact words and included it. What's odd is that like some of them hit and some of them didn't. And I, I can't tell why. I, people always look for affordable divorce lawyer in Chicago. So I wrote an article about that. Nobody reads it. I wrote one pro bono divorce lawyer in Chicago, which I don't even do. And it's, I think, like number two, if you look up pro bono divorce lawyer in Chicago, and it's just a list of actual pro bono divorce services that people in the Chicagoland area can find and what pro bono means, et cetera. So I do that, but I've had more luck with asking other attorneys what gets traffic. That works really well because most people stumble on it. Um, and I've had really good luck with targeting targeting a big, fat, juicy phrase and they're just waiting a year. Yeah. Illinois divorce with a child is uh, gets massive traffic. And I wrote it and I added to it and then I waited for a year before it got anything. And now it consistently gets multiple hits a day. So you kind of, it's kind of, you got to be your white whale or you could write about something silly and ridiculous that no one's going to ever actually research. And someone will look at it like once every month, but it might be the, their, it might be their problem. Like how to seal a divorce. Hardly anybody seals a divorce, but people hire me based on the one article I wrote about sealing a divorce. So I don't know. I would, if you want to go crazy, you could hunt the big words and you could hunt the long tail. But to be honest, I'd probably recommend long tail because it's just really so easy. You could write a 500 word article about something so silly that might be the entire case for someone else, like timeshares and divorce. And they, and someone will find it and they'll, they'll seek you out. Yeah. And just for the people who are a little bit less acquainted with the SEO, when we're talking about the long tail is this guy's those, those lower volume stuff that's every once in a while, as opposed to the short head, which would be those, those keywords like Illinois uh, divorce with a child. But as far as how you're finding these long tail things, is that same kind of Google suggestion thing? Or do you have any sort of different methods that you're using to find those? I use Google, uh, just Google suggestion, or sometimes I'll, if I'm looking for something, if I think I have a keyword, I'll try it out and then see what comes back and see what similar suggestions there are. And then I will include the similar suggestions in the article with the keyword that I'm targeting because I'm convinced that Google looks for things similarly like that. And I'm quite sure that I'm right because almost every article I write dominates the keyword. 
Yeah. It's also really refreshing to hear this from you, Russell, because it's like a lot of times I feel like people kind of launch into this, this big SEO quest and they're always looking for, Oh, what's the tool that I need? Or what's the, you know, this whiz bang strategy that I have, but literally if you he is just using the Google that, and you know what the secret ingredient is consistent work, obviously, but I wanted to follow up on, on the publish a big article and weightier thing. Now, was there anything additional you did in that year or was it just kind of the rising tide of your domain as a whole that ended up getting that to the point where it was ranking as highly as it is today? I write a lot of guest articles. I don't do that as often. The guest articles on other sites are usually retooled articles I've already read where I eliminate the Illinois law and I make it in general. So I'll write plastic surgery and divorce, but then I just eliminate the specific Illinois law related to that. And then I'll submit it. You can shop it around. Someone sooner or later will publish it and give you a link back. That is more of a Sisyphusian quest than writing articles because you have no idea what the links do. But Google has specifically told us if there's quality relevant backlinks and you're creating quality content, that Google will send you traffic. And that is absolutely true. My traffic has doubled in the last three months. Anytime I've, just because I've been on a tear because of the crisis, it's got me inside. But even before then, traffic regularly increased so long as I got relevant links and I got uh, and I put in quality content. I have tried non-relevant links. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting though, because it's like, uh, I feel like a lot of the times that we've had people, for, I mean, just friends I've discussed SEO with too, it's like, you know, there's kind of two approaches as well. All right. So what can we do to make your site look like a site that Google would want to show people? Or you can actually just, in, in, in your instance, it looks like you've actually just made a site that people, <laughs> that people want to look yeah. at, right? So you know, shortcut straight to the end. Now, as far as kind of, uh, I wanted to talk about other forms of content. So we've talked about writing a lot so far. I mean, a little bit of that guest posting also definitely helping, but have you ever ventured into, I mean, obviously we're, we're doing some audio stuff right now, but audio, video, any kind of alternative content mm-hmm. things. I have not, but I have, I'm sitting next to like a box with a big light because I'm planning on doing videos. Google says that they reward videos. So I do create videos using invideo.io and uh, Lumen videos that turn my articles into videos because Google says that if you have videos pointing at your site, it gives you some sort of boost. And it's true because it was marked when I did it. But I would try that, but I'm always skeptical because when I go on YouTube and I see a competitor and another divorce lawyer who has a big speech about divorce, YouTube shows you how many people view it and it'll be like 17 and the video will be like a year old. I have some articles that get that many views a day. So I am, to be honest, I'm skeptical, but maybe an article doesn't sell and a video does sell. So maybe there's a difference there. I don't know. Yeah. And there's also kind of the idea of maybe there's some sort of a off page benefit that's kind of improving the domain, but I've actually tended to see the same things too. And it's like, it's pretty easy to, to smoke out when you see somebody who's just like clearly through something in a keyword research tool and found something that was right in the strike zone and just like, mm-hmm. okay, recording it. It's like, oh yeah, like uh, this is the deal with the best Pittsburgh divorce attorney. Well, anyways, like, let me tell yeah. you a story. It's just like, all right, dude, I see what you're up to right here. Uh, <laughs> and, and then another thing I wanted to kind of t- touch upon is that you mentioned kind of getting into different languages. 
So how has that kind of affected the content? Have you been able to, to also serve these different markets with the same strategy? Are you adapting it yourself? Like what does that whole process look like for you? I speak fluent Spanish and I did a series of articles in Spanish and I didn't get a ton of, actually I did get feedback from it because like I just didn't do an overwhelming amount of it. I don't have a ton of competitors that I know nobody does Spanish content, period. Right. So, and some people came in, they tell me like, oh, me gusta sus artículos, which is like, I like your articles, but I haven't found that's been the massive font. I also do PI referrals that I used to get from a Spanish website I had, but then the SEO changed and I wasn't able to keep up. So I don't know if content works in Spanish, but here's the thing, content never hurts. So I do have an article that says, like, what's it like to be a Spanish-speaking attorney in Chicago? What's it like to be a Spanish-speaking attorney in Naples? And obviously, that triggers the keyword Spanish-speaking attorney in Chicago and in Naples. And I do get business from that. But the real advantage is is that there's such limited competition for when somebody prefers to speak in in their own language. So I find a lot of success with that. And learning language is really fun. I really like a long-term project, if you can't tell. So if you're yeah. really into getting a long-term project, uh, decide to learn a language. It takes about 2,000 hours. Yeah. Chicago's in the second highest uh, Mexican-American population in America. We're I, ahead of Houston. The f- Mexican food in Chicago is so superior to probably any other place than uh, Mexico City. I'm in Florida, where you'd think there'd be this big Spanish influx. I cannot get an edible taco within a hundred miles of me. It's, it's a crime. It's, but it's mostly like it's Cuban folk down here and that's not my preferred cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I have to keep that in mind. I mean, you make it down to Chicago for a while <laughs> if that didn't send yeah. you the good tacos. But okay. So as far as also kind of like dying on that, that long-term project thing. So one of the things that I hear when, when I've been discussing this with people and it's come up is like, basically this whole objection of I'm not a writer, I'm never going to be a writer. Would you consider yourself having been a writer when you started this project? And like, how has that changed since you've been doing it? Obviously, it's easier now, but like, did you consider yourself at the beginning? I guess so, because I had a blog that was quite popular in 2004 to 2006 when blogs were a thing. Mm -hmm. So, and then I actually learned how to write really well by doing it because if you, then you have a feedback because you have people comment or enjoy your what you're writing or like then they don't comment. People don't tell you they suck. They just don't pay attention. So it's a lot of like really good feedback. So, but now I, I really enjoy writing. There's a guy who I really like called David Perel. You can find on Twitter. He's quite prolific. He's a millennial. And his entire thesis is that you don't really know what you think until you've written it down. And I think that's correct. And it's also the antidote for a lot of the things that I think trouble society, like how instead of having conversation or a long drawn out thought or even a hypothesis instead we just communicate via memes via sound bites that's not thinking thinking is writing down what's an issue we're all lawyers what's the issue what's the rule the analysis and what's the conclusion you can't do that in a comment on reddit you can't do that in a tweet you have to sit down and write an essay and there's still a lot of demand for that. And there's, that is the only way you're going to come up with an intellectual solution to any kind of problem. And lawyers are in the solutions business. So if you can't write, you probably can't solve a problem. And if that's not what you're doing, what did you spend seven years in school for? 
like just to stand up to, in front of a judge and ask for a continuance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would it be safe to say like, look, if you wipe the blog off the face of the earth tomorrow by some horrendous <laughs> twist of fate in the Google algorithm, oh would you still, would you still be writing every day for your own sake? Yeah. I journal. I strongly recommend this. I journal for, uh, you know, just my own mental clarity and it's extremely healthy. I really recommend it to anybody. Just, just buy a moleskin journal and write about what you're feeling, what you're thinking. And then you might find in uh, in a month or two that the notes you're taking about yourself are a lot more reflective and are a lot more self-clarifying than the notes you took about yourself a month prior. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting too, because it's like, there's obviously like, and we always talk about the law firm growth podcast and there's, there's a marketing component to getting this stuff sorted out. But at the same time, all marketing growth is personal growth at the end of the day too. So you're picking up a lot you weren't expecting for the beginning. But um, it kind of on the note of, uh, you, you mentioned Perel as far as somebody that you look to, as far as uh, kind of the kind of guidance on this kind of stuff. But are there any other good resources that you found that have kind of helped inform your approach or, you know, writing itself or the actual content marketing aspect of this? Like who else do you follow and, and, and who do you, do you oh, follow this team? Uh, Neil Patel does, gives excellent SEO advice regarding content marketing. It's real simple. Find out where your competitors are publishing content, go to that same place and just write. It's a real simple requirement to get the, your content published. Just write something better. And submit it to them. You don't have to say it's better. You don't have to be a jerk. You just send it in. And nine times out of 10, they'll say, oh, we love stuff like this. And you'll already know they do because they already published it before. Or you can find other people in the similar markets to yours that are doing something similar. And you can copy, beg, borrow, and steal. I do that all the time. There's danger in that. Neil Patel tells you exactly what to do. Don't pay for links. Write your own content. Submit it to other places. It will drive traffic. He's absolutely right. Yeah. And then kind of something just to close it out. So as far as people that might be on the fence about this, I'm sure you're talking to people that are people, you know, do you ever get comments from lawyers that are reaching out to you and asking how they can get kind of a strategy like this? Like, what would you tell somebody who's kind of on the fence about this right now? I'd say it's a lot of work. If I could like stand outside of myself, I maybe I write this in my journal that like, it's kind of, it's like, it's a lot of work. It's a labor of love. You can't do it unless you like writing about it. You can't force yourself to do it. But I think if you're a lawyer and you've decided to have a specialty, you owe it to yourself to really dig into it beyond just hoping, oh, if I work on it enough, maybe enough will stick in my brain and I'll be an expert at some time or another. I think you owe it to yourself to have some kind of program to learn your specialty, whether it's case law, just the statutes, articles that are written in whatever bar journals you have. But if you have a system doing that, why don't you try writing it out as well to solidify what you know in your brain? And if you're writing it out, why not put it out there? And if you put it out there, you'll probably have other people finding you. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. And that's awesome. I think that's a great note. So if anyone's just kind of on the fence about this, just think about this. And look, if not for the marketing stuff, for, for your own edification and, and, and development. All right. Awesome, Russell. So if, if anyone wants to find you, what's the best way to get in touch? Just find me at my uh, Chicago website. It's easier. It's russell at rdklegal.com is my email. Or just Google Russell Knight. There's me, even though it looks like there's two of me in Florida and in Chicago. And I'll be happy to talk to you. Just shoot me an email. Anything.
All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for all the awesome tips uh, today, Russell. I super appreciate it. And like, yeah, like I said, for anyone, best plant time to uh, plant a tree is 30 years ago or three years ago in your instance. (laughs) Second best time is today. That'll be it for the Law Firm Growth Podcast. And uh, we'll be on with another episode next week on Tuesday at 8 a.m. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.